you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We will begin focusing this day on verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 4. Did that make anybody nervous? He's going to cover how many verses? Now, I want you to be honest with me now. When did we start 2 Corinthians? Wasn't it like September? I think it's September. Wasn't it? Didn't we start it right after I got back from... Uh... All right. Dude, and we're through 14 verses. That's pretty good. Some people don't think that's funny. Let's have a word of prayer. I'll pray for you guys. <laughs> and then... Uh... We will read the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 15. Father, we are here to worship. Father, allow us the privilege of entering the throne room through spirit and in truth. Father, as we bow before your book, may we be sanctified in your truth. Father, as we look at this text, I pray, Lord, as you have helped me to see and to hear that my brothers and my sisters will see and hear. And that, Father, we will grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts overflowing with adoration. Adoration to you and you alone. May we be holy servants to the Most High God. In Christ's name, amen. Chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, beginning at verse 15. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is, to pass on your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, whom was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, at Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but the workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. But I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one whom I made sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote you, so that when I came, I would not 
have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you, all of my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. What in the world? Now, I know that you guys all read this and understood it completely. But when I read it, it was like I was looking at his day timer. <laughs> and I was like, and this is in this letter. Why? Okay. And I've been reading it a lot. But I look at the flow of the letter. Remember the first 11 verses? Through much affliction. We do not want you to be unaware. We were desperate in our lives. But we went through all of this so that you would be comforted. Okay? And Paul shows us that the things that we endure, the things that crush us, the things that hurt us, the things that break our hearts, we go through those things so that when other people are going through those kinds of sufferings, those kinds of heartaches, that kind of affliction, we can show them by our lives and our action that as God strengthened us, through the same situation, we are in your lives so that you will be strengthened through same situations. And then he lays on to us, beginning there in verse 12, the confidence of his testimony, the confidence of his conscience. I have witness in my conscience of as I feel towards you. And then when I read through this, now I got this 15 through 2, 4, and and. and I'm starting to try to scratch my head because it's funny because a lot of the heartache, a lot of the suffering, the affliction that he speaks of is caused by this church. All right. And yet what happens is, is that when a man of God and, and, and I was thinking about this. When a man of God Stands and proclaims truth. Do you understand that it causes problems? That there will be people who will not appreciate what he says. Okay? And Paul has already taken it to the highest human court, his own conscience. And he says, my conscience is clear. Even before God. See, Paul is dealing with ministry. Specifically in this letter, his ministry. But the attack on his ministry comes to his character. Who is this man? Why should we listen to this man? You know, and I read this text... Part of this trouble with this text, verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 4, is what is called a narrative. Okay, and everybody goes, okay, all right. A, a narrative doesn't do anything. It basi- a, a narrative is a story. Let me just tell you what's going on. And that's why when I first read through this, I'm like, well, I got a picture of Paul's day planner. You know, I, I was going to do this and I don't do that. And, you know, anyway. Okay, but 
there's a part of it in a narrative text, and there's a many narrative texts in Holy Scripture. And I, I see us many times take narratives and we trivialize them. It's just something I just read through. It's no big deal. It's obvious there was a little tension between Paul and the Corinthians, and this is just part of dealing with that tension. Okay? How does chapter 1, verse 15, through chapter 2, verse 4, fit me today in Castle Rock, Colorado, in 2010? He was planning on going to Corinth. He didn't show up. They evidently got their underwear in a bunch over it, and that affects me how spiritually. Okay, so he's cranky people. Where anybody's been in church for half an hour, 45 minutes, know there's cranky people in the church. But you know what? As I have read this and have read this and I have read this and I have read this, I see something here that is amazing to me. And I will tell you, it took multiple readings for me to find it. Okay. There is a tremendous insight. Uh, and, and, and as I bowed before the book, I started looking at this as a model. This should be a model to me. Okay? You, many of you have heard, those of you who meet with us on Wednesday night, we are in 1 Timothy, and many of you have heard 1 Timothy called the pastoral epistle. Um, I understand why they use that phrase, except for some problems that I have with it. One, pastoral epistle does not show up in the letter. Uh, It was written to Timothy. Uh, Was he in church leadership? Yeah. Uh, Was he dealing with the church? Yeah. Was he trying to straighten out some things? Yeah. Uh, I see this text right here, verse 15 through 2-4. Of what does a pastor's heart look like? First Timothy and Titus are dealing with the structure of the church. You know, elders, the role of women, evangelistic praying, deacons, deacons' wives. Uh, and, and I understand that. Okay, and it, and it gives a dynamic there. But, but this is what a pastor's heart should look like. Because what you're getting here is a view of a pastor's heart. This is Paul's heart. We should take and look at Paul and and we should trust him and, and we think about the support that should be for Paul and how Paul should be encouraged. And you know what? I don't see that in the body of Christ today. I really don't. And I'm not here to put anybody on, on the spot. But I have been in the church long enough and have watched the dynamic in the church long enough to know that pastors are basically commodities. And if um, I don't like that pastor, I will form my alliances and I will try to force that pastor out. And, and I watch people... In a very deceptive way, all claim to want to have relationships. We, we have uh, activities in the body of Christ where we are all going to get to know each other better. And that is man's way of overcoming what the Apostle Paul is giving you and me in this text right here. Paul. 
Paul has already told us God knows his heart. Right? And we should look at this in that thought coming into this text that what he's going to... If Paul, if God knows my heart, then what I am saying should not be taken lightly. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, we should not go on judging each other because God knows the hidden things. And God will judge the secret things. And it's only God who we give the praise to. I know people today and you know people today who have either gotten mad at you or may be mad at you or want to be mad at you because you didn't give them a praise. You didn't give them an accolade. You didn't give them an attaboy. And the truth of the matter is, if you're truly saved this day, you should be seeking one thing, one thing only. Well done, true and faithful servant. But most of us chase the accolades of men. And I'm talking about lost people. I'm talking about the church. See, when I read this letter, as usual, Paul is under siege. Paul has people who are mad at him. And when I think about the Apostle Paul, and I know that my understanding of this man has grown in years. I used to think he was a little bit on the cranky side. Okay, but then I remember 1 Thessalonians, and he told the church in Thessalonica, which he was there for a very short time, he said, were we not as gentle as nursing mothers to you? Now, I don't know about you, But I'm not going to look at the Apostle Paul and say he is a wordsmith. But I do read that and I know what he's getting at. And I don't know of anything more tender than a nursing mother. But he says we were firm as a father. And I remember years ago when I went through that text that my understanding of the Apostle Paul completely changed. Paul's firm. Don't ever kid yourself. Don't ever kid yourself. But when I think a man, was there ever, has there ever been a man so worthy of a servant? Ever in the history of the church? Why would such a worthy servant be so unrelentlessly attacked without mercy? I mean, the church in Corinth, he founded and they attacked him. They did it in Ephesus. They run him out of Thessalonica. He couldn't stay in Berea. They arrested him. They beat him. You read the text this morning where the slave girl, the demon was kicked out and they arrested him and beat him with rods. There's some brilliance. But you know what I've learned? In my days of looking at my brother, what I have witnessed, there is an other side that causes these attacks. And that was because the Apostle Paul was powerful. 
I mean, he was submitted completely to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he spoke, the gates of hell listened and the gates of heaven listened. I want you to think about this. One of the texts that means probably the most to me in all of Holy Scripture comes out of the letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Um, I, I hear people ask me, they say, well, what is your philosophy of ministry? That's it right there. <laughs> I know it's not real original, but it works well. You know why? Because he says, for this purpose, I also labor striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Okay, that's the two lines. That's the two lines. Paul labors and strives. Both of those are intense verbs, meaning I work to the point of exhaustion. I work to the point of exhaustion, to the point of damaging my muscles. But I thought we were under grace. Yes, through the power that is within me. Power was within me. You know, there are people who have accused me. They said, but he's egotistical and boastful. And I was like, oh, really? Cool. Um, and the reason is they base their relationship with me is what they hear me from the pulpit. Let me tell you something. By the time I get ready to come up here to this, you'd better know what you're saying. And I have no time nor tolerance for someone who gets up and says, well, I think it means then sit down until you're right. And I say that lovingly, but that's, oh, that's just mean, crass. No. Don't get up and say something that in another month you'll have to get up and say, I was wrong. That's what I, when the Apostle Paul spoke, when the Apostle Paul worked, he labored, he strove, he was in exhaustion, he was sweating, and he was doing it by the power that was within him. That's why you have such a worthy servant. Every time he turned around, he was attacked. Why? Because he had power. He had power. The thing that is amazing is that in this letter, 2 Corinthians, is the attack, the accusations, were coming from an unlikely place. He had founded this church, and that is where the attacks were coming from. It is a form of sin. They were misrepresenting, misrepresenting Paul. He had spent 18 months there. He had invested himself into that place. He had poured himself into that place. He had planted this place. He had given it its foundation. And according to his truth, he had never ceased praying for them by name. He had written them four letters. We have two of them. And if you just take the two, we have more chapters written to the church in Corinth than we have any other church. We'll call it a major investment. 
But it was not only of time and effort, but it was of his love. He had placed tremendous confidence, tremendous affection in their hands. And his feelings for them, he loved them even more. And this church was loving him less. That's amazing. Every time you see the Apostle Paul leave an area, you have the false come in. Every time. I don't care if it was Galatia. I don't care if it was Ephesus. I don't care if it was Philippi. Every time you see the Apostle Paul work powerfully, as soon as he moved on, guess what? The false came in and they attacked. And they attacked in the same system that they attacked today. As they attacked Paul, they attacked him then. They attacked the teachers of God's truth in the power of God, in the confidence and the boldness of God. They always attack the same way. It's always, always the same. And the first thing they have to do, because the man or the woman is proclaiming truth, they've got to discredit him or her. Attack his character. And they would on every level for Paul. See, you hear it said this way. Where there's smoke, there must be fire. Right? Well, not really, because somebody could be just blowing smoke. Because I've had that accusation thrown at me. Well... It looks like it that you know if there's smoke, there must be fire. No, I think you're puffing smoke. I believe you just exhaled. Why? Listen, if you can discredit the teacher of truth, then you can become the regional expert. And that's what they were doing. See... There's implications in this letter is Paul's defense of his character and his work. See, if I can get the character, then I can discredit the work. That goes on today all over the place. You don't believe me. Well, let me give you a for instance. Why is it that someone would be offended by truth and their immediate response in the body of Christ today is to try to gather Allies. Why? Because if I can get a whole bunch of people to agree with me, then that person is wrong. I got them. So we can completely discredit them. I remember early in my ministry, I had a group that was in the Sunday school hour that was going through the Sunday school classes saying we can't support this man as our pastor and we're trying to get everybody to leave from the Sunday school hour to, to leave the church. And they actually one time come up to me and smiled real big. And they always give you that one. You know, I just want you to know we love you. I'm feeling it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I don't love you. No. Uh, but but they, they, they would come up to me and they said, you, uh, and he just he does this thing. And I, it's just one of them things that drives me nuts. But, you know, it's proof that I'm saved because I didn't hit him. Uh, <laughs> I hate people stick their finger in my face. Okay. Uh, it just it's just something about that just. But I didn't, I didn't do nothing. He says, I want you to know I'll wait you out. 
And I was like, dude, I ain't got nowhere to go. <laughs> so I hope you got your waiters on. Okay. And he has since gone, him and his group. Why? Because they want to disqualify the person. He doesn't have any integrity. That's what they did with the Apostle Paul on a regular basis. Why? Well, I can't trust Paul. You can't trust Paul. You know what is amazing? There's nothing truthful about the attack. At all. Listen, this is kind of an important thing. If you're going to discredit somebody, if you can get people to believe that the individual isn't trustworthy, that there is no integrity there, then guess what? You've discredited everything that you had to deal with. Um, the Apostle Paul comes out of 12 and 14 with a clear conscience. He says, I stand before God with a clear conscience. The testimony of my conscience is clear. And that would be the general defense. And yet, if we can make him not trustworthy, then we can remove his teaching. You know what? I have an advantage the Apostle Paul doesn't have. Cool, huh? I have the Bible. He didn't have the Bible. I mean, you don't think what I'm teaching is true. Show me. I mean, that's not complicated. Paul didn't have that. Look what he says here, verse 15. In this confidence, okay, referring back, okay, you know what that confidence is, right? My conscience, the testimony of my conscience is holiness and godly sincerity. And it is so holy and so sincere in God that I'm eager for the second coming. That's pretty strong confidence right there. (laughs) You know, let's turn the lights on. Let's show the secret things. He says, I am so confident in this. I intended to come to you so that you might receive twice a blessing. Now watch what he's do, he does here. This is so cool. Because if you remember, I'll take you back a few months. That in 16.5, what did he say? He says, I want to come to you after Macedonia. I'm going to Macedonia. I'm going to take up an offering up there for the starving saints in Jerusalem. And then after I'm done there, I'm going to come to you. But he says, you know what? I want to come to you twice. So before I go to Macedonia, I'll come through Corinth. And then on my way back out of Macedonia, I'll come back through Corinth. That's what his plan was. See... He had promised to come to them twice. He hadn't come. And the adversary, the enemy, jumped on this as a point that you can't trust him. You can't trust. And everybody said, what are you getting that from? Look at verse 17. I was not vacillating. You know what that means, right? I believe he's answering accusation. Someone has accused the apostle Paul of vacillating Paul understands the importance of this attack has nothing to do 
with whether he shows up or not, his travel plans. You know what? When I first read through this, I couldn't understand why the Apostle Paul just didn't say, you know what? Something come up and I couldn't catch a bus. My boat got sunk. I mean, let's be realistic. If you look at the writing of this letter, travel's a little difficult. I mean, it was, it was more than trying to get through security. Okay, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, you know, I can catch a midnight flight from Ephesus over to Corinth. Okay, to, to, for him to get across it, he's got to go across the Aegean Sea and, wait, tread water? Paddle. I don't know. Just swim. We are a servant of God. Walk on the water. So travel was difficult. Why doesn't he just explain to you travel is difficult? Somebody shot my mule. I, you know, I don't know. But he, does, he never explains why I didn't come. Because he understands the issue is not why he didn't come. The issue is his tr- trustworthiness. His integrity. See, this text... I think it was Linsky, it could have been Calvin said, no, it wasn't Calvin because he wouldn't have known that. I think it was Linsky. This is an x-ray of Paul's heart. Okay? I look at it as an MRI of his attitude. Okay? If you look on your bulletins, you'll see an outline and you'll see that I'm talking about God's pastor. God's pastor. See, The heart of a godly pastor is evident. And I hear it. You can't judge the heart. No, but I can see the action. I can see the action. See, here's the argument. If Paul can't be trusted to keep his appointments, his travel plans, why in the world would I trust his theology? Now, people will say, well, that seems kind of crazy. No, you know what? I got people right now who are expecting me to fall any moment. What Terry's doing is just something he's trying to do, and he's only managed to pull it off for 25 years. I've had people, um, relatives, who do not believe in salvation. They, they just believe that I'm doing it as a way to make a living. I said, you ain't seen my paycheck, have you? (laughs) Because the bugger just ain't working right now. (laughs) Because, you know what? I know a lot of people right now who believe that what you do is easy. All you do, what what, do you get up early in the morning? You go sit down and I'll talk about this and go on. Yeah, that's it. It's easy. I'm afraid I'm going to put on weight sitting around. See, that's the approach. Listen, here's the bottom line. If they can't trust this guy, if I can discredit this guy so I don't trust him, and then all I have to do is find victims. And you know what? Victims are easy to find. Victims are so easy to find. And what I mean by that is someone disagrees with the pastor. Listen, why don't people be as brave as Isaiah and say, come, let us reason together from Scripture? I have never had anybody say, let's reason together from Scripture. I have been attacked a lot. Okay? And here's how they do it. Hey, I don't think that's true. You know, I seen him the other day. You know, he he was on a motorcycle. I 
I, I don't, I don't think, you know what? He was supposed to meet me. And then he called at the last moment, said, said he was sick. And, and you know what? He didn't sound sick. Okay. And that's the way it works. And then that person gets their person, gets that person, gets that person. And then they, you have (laughs) church division, (laughs) another church plant. (laughs) We'll, We'll go start our own. All right, and I and I see that all over the place. Listen, I don't claim to claim to be inerrant. The book does. The book does. So, when I start through this, I want you to think about. It. I got seven things that I laid out here. If you want to see God's pastor, they'll fall into this. And the first one is loyal. Loyal. Uh, I hate to bring news to you. I, I don't see this a lot in the body of Christ anymore. From the pastorate. Uh, I've run into multiple pastors in Colorado who tell me that they're serving here until they can get some time under their belt so they can go to Texas because Texas pays their pastors better. Okay. Uh, I can tell you this I wasn't looking for a job when I got this one. <laughs> so so I, I completely did this thing wrong. Paul is basically stating here in verses 15 and 16 that the only reason that I ever made the plans in the first place was because of my loyalty to you. Look at verses 15 and 16. I'm confident as I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is to pass on your way into Macedonia again from Macedonia to come to you and by you be helped on my journey to Judea. Okay, there's a loyalty to this group in Corinth. And there's a part of me that sits and looks at it and goes, why? Why would you be loyal to these people? They have abused the Lord's table. They have perverted spiritual gifts. They are encouraging immorality in the body of Christ as a way of freedom. I, I You just read it and you think they're denying... The resurrection. And you're sitting there going, why would you be loyal to these people? But he was. Why? I want to bless you twice. Remember the original plan, 16.5, 1 Corinthians. I will come by you on my way back. Out of Macedonia. And yet, in the time since he wrote the first letter, he's wrote another letter called the severe letter that we don't have. And now he's written 2 Corinthians. And by the time that you've got all of that going down from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians, he's saying, you know what? I've changed my plans. My plans are to come by you twice. So that he would be Twice with them. Now let me ask you a question. Because see what happens with a text like this. Everybody's going to look at it and say, okay, Terry, is he loyal? Terry, is he honest? Terry, is he reliable? Terry, is he authentic? Terry, is he... And uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you're all concerned for me. I don't think that's the question. I think the question for the congregation is this. How important is the congregation to you? 
Have you ever changed your travel plans so you could be in church more? That's what the Apostle Paul's doing. Have you ever changed your travel plans so you don't miss church? I mean, the only reason you guys are afraid that I would go someplace is that I'd take a piano player. <laughs> I know how this gig is working. <laughs> we can get somebody else to play the piano, man. <laughs> go ahead, take a vacation. <laughs> or maybe you need to take a vacation by yourself. You know, a little rest and rest. The word here, he says, blessing, twice receive a blessing. That's the word kyrios. You know what we translate that as? Grace. Grace. I would like to come and give you grace twice. I would like to come and give you a favor twice. I would come and like to give you a benefit twice. I would like to come and give you a literal benediction twice. I would like to give you a spiritual blessing twice instead of the once that I had originally planned. That's loyalty, brothers and sisters. He's saying, you guys are oh so important to me. And I still keep thinking, is this the same people that I read of in 1 Corinthians? See, he wanted to come twice because he had confidence. And I want you to think about this because you got to keep it coming out of that. <clears throat> Look in verse 14. Just as you partially did understand us, that we were your reason to be proud or boastful. And the word there in the original language means, I am boasting on what God has done through you. Okay? But see, Paul was extraordinarily proud of what God had done in the Corinthian church. And he had hoped that they were as proud of him as he was of them. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys are proud of your pastor? How many would be boasting on what God has done through the pastor? That's what Paul's saying. How many, because I know pastors who ain't real happy about their congregation, and I'm still trying to figure out what was wrong with Paul thinking that these people were something to boast about. I mean, you guys, we have done some knucklehead stuff. We have never perverted the Lord's table. Right? There's times when we look at proud or we look at boasting and we think, well, aren't those wrong? Um, yeah, in the human sense, they are. In God's sense, it's great. It is a matter to rejoice in. It is a matter of exaltation. It is the crown of our rejoicing. Are the people that we minister with while we are here on this planet. Okay? But what he's getting at out of verse 14 is we have a real relationship. I am thrilled to death to see what you guys have pulled together and accomplished in Russia. 17 daughter churches? Really? And we planned that how? Do you understand the souls that have been saved by your sacrifice? And I know that it ain't you guys. It is you saying, Lord, use me. 
I get people ask me that all the time. Well, were you Slavic? And I was like, what? I'm sometimes known as a slob, but I don't know Slavic. They said, well, why do you have a passion for Russia? Well, I don't. <laughs> why don't you have a passion? Well, then why are you doing this? They wanted the truth. The people that we minister with all have one thing in common. They want the Bible. And that's good because we don't really have anything else to give. Right? But see, I get people who say, well, Terry, you have this ministry. I don't have a ministry in Russia. We have a ministry in Russia. See, we have a relationship that is more than, you know what? Let's go to the ball game together. No, it's way more than that. It is way more than that. I remember sitting on the Sea of Galilee early, 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 early in the morning. It was just kind of hazy up on, I can't remember the name of that mountaintop. Anyway, there was a mountain was just getting lit up over across the Sea of Galilee was the the city of Tiberias. And, And I was sitting right there and I had my church directory praying for every one of you name for name, your kids and what's going on in your life and what I know is going on in your life, salvation of loved ones and all the rest of it. And I looked up and I said, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Well, that's just not something I was thinking about doing. Why? Because there's a relationship. There's a relationship. Paul understood that. Paul is assuming that the Corinthians had a relationship. He was assuming that there really was trust in this body of people, that there really was love in this body of people, that there really was caring in this body of people, that there was something there that they mutually could hold on, respect, pride toward one another and what God was doing through them. That's what Paul's saying. So Paul has a loyalty it's it's a I, I it seems like an odd phrase, but it's a godly pride. We are so involved with each other that we can boast in each other of what God is doing. It's also based on an assumption that the apostle Paul has is that that I am as important to you as you are to me. You ever thought about that? That's what Paul's saying. Why, why would I change my plans to come back by you twice? They've already heard him. But he had a loyalty there. And he says, I made my plans. And it was born out of that loyalty. I... Uh, I try to plan my Russia trips. I don't get a lot of input in them, okay? Because um, you ha- when you're bringing twenty pastors together from all these areas, you can only get them at a block at, at a certain time. So you, you're more at what they want to do. But I always ask them, "Can I have the first Sunday of the month?" Because I'm twelve hours ahead of you on that first Sunday that I'm usually there and uh, they partake of the Lord's table. And as a visiting pastor, I get to help serve the Lord's table. 
all right, in, in, in the Russian congregation. And I always know that that's the day that you guys will be taking the Lord's table. And so as I take the Lord's table, I think about you guys taking the Lord's table. I'm a little ahead of you, okay, but that's okay. It's, it's all right. And that's just something that means a lot to me for some reason. I don't, I don't, I can't tell you why. And I, and I'm, I assume that there are things about me that, yeah, oh, he's in Russia for the Lord's table. Amen. No. Paul, Paul says, my plans were born out of this loyalty. My plans were not selfishness. They were done in a confidence and a trust in my heart that you were as loyal to me as I am to you. And I had somebody accuse me of this, that I was not trustworthy and I, I wasn't loyal. <laughs> and I thought, really? How long must I stay here to prove my loyalty? I mean, some of you, I think about the Barris and Karen, and uh, that's the only church I've ever been in. Do you understand that? I've, I've never attended another church. I mean, I've never been a member of another church. I've never been a part of another congregation. This is it. I'm thinking that that should give me a merit badge on loyalty. Right? And that's what the Apostle Paul's doing. He's saying, listen, I wrote you four letters. I have never ceased praying for you. I completely changed my plans. I was just going to swing by out of Macedonia. But I have decided that with the trials and tribulations that you are under, knowing that the heartache I had to endure, that I know is I was comforted by God. I can come to you and cover. I'm planning two trips. Two acts of graciousness. Two times of spiritual blessing. I plan to come, Paul says. If I wasn't loyal to you, I wouldn't have bothered to come once. To say that I'm going to come twice, what can that be but loyalty? I'm going to leave Ephesus. I'm planning to go through Corinth. I'm on my way to Macedonia now. And then I'll come back by Corinth as I must take an offering to Judea. See, and the first visit didn't happen. And the whole issue that changed the plan was jumped on. And the enemy said, you can't trust him. You can't trust him. Paul's response is, the only reason I even planned to come to you in the first place. Because I care and I'm loyal to you. There's no failure in his loyalty. He just wanted to give them double grace. That's all. His loyalty is evident. And the only reason for the planning of the first visit. I mean, the end of, of, of 1 Corinthians 16.5, he says, I plan on coming to you after Macedonia. Listen, the mark of a pastor that is God's the heart of a true pastor is, is, is a kind of loyalty that says, whatever I need to do for your spiritual benefit, I'll do it. 
I'll do it. It's the only reason Paul made the plan to come back. Why? He knew they needed some help. He says, you know what? But as God shows us, sometimes He changes our plans, doesn't He? Paul says, even when He changes my plans, don't doubt my heart. Why? He's already told us that the testimony of His conscience is only in holiness and godly sincerity. And my loyalty to you is that I am confident that I intended at first to come to you so that I might twice receive grace. Because see, the pastor understands this. When I give grace unto you, you know what always, always, always happens? I receive grace from you. It's really kind of a cool thing, actually. So the first point of God's pastor, he's loyal. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul. And Father, thank you for this text and what it's meant to me to date. Father, may we, who are called by your name, fall more and more in love with each other and your precious bride, your church. And Father, as our relationships grow, Father, let it not be a man-made thing. Let it be divine intervention as our souls are knit together in the oneness of Jesus Christ. To your glory, to your praise. Christ's name. Amen.